Good morning, everyone. Friends, our first reading um, from the Book of Wisdom, uh, it, um, it's kind of like a eulogy uh, to wisdom, um, a lament almost, if you will, uh, about uh, wisdom. And it encourages those who seek after true wisdom that ultimately they will receive it. And um, a second reading, remember in Paul's time, they thought Jesus was coming back very quickly, like in a week or in a, a two weeks. And when this didn't happen, uh, the people started to uh, freak out a little bit. And uh, in that, they became worried that what happens to our loved ones who die before Jesus comes back? They're not going to be in heaven. And while we may laugh about that, oh, it's silly. It wasn't so silly. This was on their minds and hearts every single day. Jesus coming back, and what happens to their loved ones who die then in the interim of that? And Paul is consoling them. He said, console each other with this. Do not worry about that. The Lord is coming, and don't worry about the ones who have died before he comes. And um, that makes perfect sense to us. In our gospel, Jesus said, those who were ready went into the wedding feast with him. My friends, this is an indication for the reader that this teaching then is about being prepared. But my friends, we need to understand when Jesus spoke, when he spoke about seeds, when he spoke about light, when he spoke about water, um, he spoke to people who understood. He, um, to farmers, he spoke about seeds. To seafarers, he spoke about water. So here he's speaking about a wedding and bridesmaids. So we need to understand what was the role of the bridesmaids in Jesus' time because it's a little bit different from what they are today. And um, there is, on the one hand, bridesmaids had a ceremonial uh, piece inside of the wedding. They provided beauty and pageantry, and that's what happens today with bridesmaids. But the bridesmaids had a very serious role, a very practical role. Uh, they were to keep the bride company until the groom arrived. When the groom approached and he was announced, the bridesmaids were expected, they were absolutely expected, to meet him and to assist him to get him to his bride. Now, my friends, you have to remember in Jesus' time, marriages were arranged. So it is unlikely that the groom had even seen his wife yet. He had no idea what she looked like. Can you imagine that? And he didn't live just next door. He lived in another town. It was likely he was unfamiliar with the town. So you see the bridesmaids become the tourist guide for him. They get him. And uh, uh, they are to usher him. They help him to find his, the home of the bride and where the ceremony will take place. So they acted in as guides. And Oftentimes, as the scriptures tell us, um, the groom was late. Today, it's often the bride is late. Where's the bride? She's coming. The wedding was supposed to start at two. Yeah, but she's coming. <laughs> and we wait. And we wait. <laughs> In Jesus' time, was the opposite. It was the bride. Where is he? Where is he? How long does it take to get from that city? I'm donkey. <laughs> Because that's probably why he was, that's how he was getting there. So my friends, uh, oftentimes he would arrive late in the evening, so they needed the oil lamps because it was dark. 
and the groom would have been unfamiliar with the street, so they needed to light the path for him. My friends, in Jesus' time, the groom had every right and expectation for this much-needed attention of the bridesmaids. Often, as the Scripture tells us, the groom was delayed, and the bridesmaids had to be prepared for whenever he arrived. And once the groom was in the presence of the bride, the door of the wedding home is shut, closed down. No one comes in. If a guest or bridesmaid uh, is not ready, uh, the consequences were socially extremely embarrassing for them and for the wedding party. So my friends, then the question is, who is Jesus directing this story to in his time? He is directing it, obviously, to the people who are listening to him, who are in front of him. And who are in front of him at that time? It is the Hebrew people. The foolish bridesmaids are the Jewish people. They have missed the wedding feast because they do not recognize Jesus as the groom. They have lost their place in the kingdom because they have rejected him who is the Messiah. They were unprepared. So that's who Jesus was talking to when it was written. The word of God is living. So how do we, the Christian church, understand this teaching from Matthew's gospel? We begin with the early church. The early church saw it as a reflection on their own situation. Remember, the second reading, Paul, his community was worried Jesus hadn't come back. What's going on? So the early church thought Jesus was coming back immediately and Jesus would return soon and his kingdom would be established. When Jesus didn't come back immediately, they were confused. So they went to this story and they saw it as an allegory looking for the answer. So remember, in the parable, there's always the characters are assigned. God is the Father, and remember, what I told you, in Jesus' time, marriages were arranged by mothers and fathers, by the parents. So God is uh, who arranged the marriage. Jesus is the groom. The Christian community is the ten virgins. And the barring of the door or the closing and locking of it is a symbol for the last judgment. The way for the early church and for us to respond to the delay of Jesus' return was not to become careless and not to become negligent, like the foolish virgins, but to always be prepared as an example by the wise virgins. My friends, some people read this and they say, well, those ladies were not very nice. They should have shared their oil. If you say that, it's because you do not understand the symbolism of the oil. The oil is good works. My friends, oil and uh, light in the Old Testament, that's how they would have understood it, those are Old Testament folks that Jesus was talking to, meant good works, their works. So, if they divided their oil, all the oil lamps might have gone out. This is what the women are saying. If we give you some oil, all of the lamps are going to go out and none of us are going to be able to do anything then. 
and the groom will be in jeopardy because he can't see. My friends, um, one cannot attribute one's good deeds to another. So the wise virgins cannot share their oil using the symbolisms. They cannot share their good deeds. You're going to have to do your own. That's why they say, you go and get some. <laughs> go and do something good. The scripture says, Jesus said, Lord, they said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replies, I do not know you. That sounds terrible. And I would not want to hear that from Jesus. I've talked to you about that. I, that bothers me. I don't want him to say that. He can say whatever else he wants, but not that. And it sounds shockingly final. And it is. Perhaps many today believe that, they, that this could not happen to him or her. But the parable, the message, tells us that it can happen to you and I. In our world, with the rise of atheism and Gnosticism, uh, amongst many other things, relativism and uh, socialism and communism and all that, um, we see a lack of faith in God. Okay, well, Father, don't you expect that from communists? All right. But what about the lack of faith in disciples, in Christians themselves? It is this very odd attitude with many Christians. Well, I'm pretty sure there is a God. Can you imagine a follower of Jesus saying that? I'm pretty sure there is a God, but uh, if this was Las Vegas, I'll put my bet on there is. You, where do you think I got that from? From a Christian who is talking to me. So I guess I better pray from time to time. I guess I better go to church from time to time. Ooh, who are you? <laughs> In the day-to-day, -day, faith is not taken seriously. For a person who speaks that way or thinks that way, they live in a world where God is more ceremonial than real. And this is so heartbreaking, at least to me as a priest, because it implies that for Christians like that, God is no longer experienced as a living entity, as a person to whom they can talk and have a relationship with. Instead, God becomes nothing more than a symbol uh, attached to a religion of a long time ago that represents a particular way of life. But it is not important enough in the everyday. Here's where I commend St. Paul speaking to those people who we thought were foolish. They were worried about Jesus. Jesus was on their minds and hearts every single day. They were worried about their loved ones and about their future of eternal life every single day. Every day that Jesus did not come back, they were troubled by it. It mattered. It had great value to them. Now, my friends, having said this, that's not to say that people are not interested in moral guidelines and some forms of justice, but the evidence suggests that many folks now rely on human wisdom and self-interest 
as being foundational to these things rather than attaching them to God and having that relationship with God and letting that be the catalyst for right morals and justice. What it seems to be is that the world eclipses God now. My friends, what I am talking about when I'm speaking about Christians who have this feeling, I'm not talking about someone who's having a dark night or time in the desert. That happens to all of us. And I'm talking about a little bit of lack of faith. I'm talking about people, this is how they live their life and claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. It seems that God is absent from the ordinary consciences of these believers. And my friends, in the battle between the gospel and cultures and societies of our time, sometimes it feels as if those cultures and societies have the upper hand. Societies are seemingly brutalizing us with so many wicked things in institutions and ideologies. And these ideologies put forth me, 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 me. Think about me. Only me, me first. And if I don't get what I want, then it will be an eye for an eye. And you know what happens when you follow that? Jesus talked about that, didn't he? No more, he said, not that, because you're all going to be blind. <laughs> you're all going to lose an eye or two. My friends, the church faces a tremendous challenge. So suspending just for a moment the notion that evangelization is for those who know not the gospel of Jesus, meaning people who are ignorant of Jesus. The church faces the challenge of evangelizing a culture, evangelizing education, evangelizing the media. Oh, Lord have mercy what I'm about to say. And evangelizing politics. Whoo! That was clear in 2020. And what about large corporations? Oh, Father, now, now, be careful. Oh, no. Those corporations are running the world. And we need to get in there and evangelize them. But my friends, one of the most heartbreaking conclusions I've come to is the importance and need of evangelizing our own people, those who sit in this pew. The teachings found in the gospel was meant for you and me. It was too late for Israel, for they had missed the moment. So why would Jesus tell this story except because it was a warning for the future, not a lament of the past? He meant it for you and I to hear. He knew you would be here today and he needs you to hear this message. Jesus told this story at the end of his life. He was on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. This is what was on his mind and heart. It would be tragic for you and I to repeat ancient Israel's mistake. It would be a tragedy for us Christians today to spend our lives in the kingdom of God on earth 
in his church and missed the final chapter of salvation. It is the Bible's assumption, and remember the Bible is 72 books except for my Baptist friend. The version of the Bible is a little shorter. <laughs> it is the Bible's assumption that our human death will catch many in the way they normally live. Be that a friend of God or an enemy of God. Be that in a state of preparedness to receive our Lord again or to be in some phasey, hazy, lazy fog, confused. Here's one of the problems. Today, many do not expect the end of the world to come anytime soon. And nevertheless, we Christians know that it is going to come. What don't we know? We don't know the exact hour and time. Jesus said it over and over and over again. And anyone who says they know is a liar or foolish. Because Jesus said, you will not know this time and hour. So the message of the gospel is the same for us today as it was when Jesus spoke it to uh, the people who are in front of him. Do not get careless. Do not get forgetful. Be prepared. As we get closer, in two weeks we will celebrate Jesus Christ, the King of the universe. It ends our liturgical year and our new year begins. So the readings reflect that. So from this point on, we're going to have end time readings. And from this point, I'm going to give you end time homilies. Dang it, Father. Darn. <laughs> but my homilies must always be filled with hope because Jesus Christ is always filled with hope, and so are his followers. So here it is. This is our grace-filled time. I pray as your pastor that each of you will live each day worthily and joyfully and with the absolute knowledge and the absolute hopeful expectation of the coming of Jesus Christ. The one thing that you do know, because you have experienced it, is that when Jesus comes, either at the second coming or when he comes personally, human death, you don't know exactly when. So be prepared. Don't be scared. Being scared isn't going to help you. Being prepared will be. Oh, Father, how am I supposed to do that? Be like the wise virgins. Get your oil lamp out. Get it filled with oil. What is the oil? Yes, what is good in the eyes of God? Go read Micah. Go read Psalm 15. I'll tell you. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love others as you love yourself. Jesus said, hang on one minute. I give you the platinum, because that was the gold. I give you platinum. You shall love others as I have loved you. If you do this, my Father in heaven will be glorified. 
and he will not lock the door on you. We cannot claim ignorance. Last night I told the people, this crazy priest is standing in front of you and telling you. So you will not be able to tell Jesus, Jesus, Lord, I didn't know about all that. And he's going to say, yes, you did, because that crazy priest in Greek Harbor, my servant, told you. What did he tell me? He told you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 That's going to be the response of some of you. No, he didn't. <laughs> Thank you for helping me out with that, I think. I told you what Jesus said. Don't let me be the one standing on the other side of the gate waving at you. Hi, told you so. Because Jesus will say, be quiet, priest. Get in there. You stop that. This is why you are not to be afraid. This is what Paul is saying. He tells them in that reading, if you go on to the final, the other paragraphs, do these things. Be good. Love. Be charitable. Forgive. All these things. These are what is needed. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. When I leave, I'm going to leave you as the light. So in that sense, you become the lantern to lead others who are lost. That's what we're called to do. So please go and do that. Amen? And yes, yes, we pray for all of our elected officials whether we like them or not. That's not an option. We pray for all of them. We ask that God guide them in all things. So we pray for our current president. We pray for the president-elect. We pray for all the Congress people, men and women, all the mayors, all the politicians, Officer Mike Allen. <laughs> we pray for everybody whether we like them or not. That is what Jesus expects of his disciples. Okay?